Welcome everyone to Mixed Feelings, a Yonsei Podcast Network limited series. I'm Hiro. I'm Michelle. I'm Yoko. And I'm Matt. And we'll be your hosts for this miniseries. You may remember in the second season of the Yonsei, the four of us discussed what it was like for us to grow up mixed and what that meant to us, and some of the quirks and interesting experiences that we faced. Well, we had so much fun that we decided to create Mixed Feelings as a limited series. This is a chance for us four to really dive further into the topic of being mixed. So, if you didn't know, today, June 12th, is Loving Day. Today's holiday is meant to celebrate Richard and Mildred Loving's victory in their Supreme Court case, Loving v. Virginia. So, we figured what better day is there to kick off our brand new series about being mixed than the day our existence became federally protected. So, before we jump into today's discussion, why don't we take a moment to talk about the history of Loving v. Virginia and why it is important today. Matt and Hiro, do you mind helping our listeners out? Sure, let's get started. Let's start a bit further back, all the way back when European colonizers arrived in North America and began establishing colonies. They created laws banning miscegenation or marriage between people of different races. Throughout the rest of American history, all but nine states had laws of some sort banning miscegenation. Despite attempts to ban or replace these laws, they all went unheard until after the end of World War II. Which brings us to Central Point, Virginia in the late 1950s. Longtime friends Richard Loving, a white man, and Mildred Jeter, who is of mixed black and Native American ancestry, fell in love. In June 1958, the couple traveled to Washington, D.C., where they got married, because at that point in time, it was legal, and turned home back to Central Point. Several weeks later, the couple was arrested by the local sheriff in the middle of the night because they were thought to have violated Virginia's anti-miscegenation laws. When they finally appeared before Judge Leon M. Basil a year later, they pleaded guilty and were sentenced to one year in prison. However, the judge instead suspended that sentence, stipulating that the Lovings leave Virginia and not return for a period of 25 years. After being sentenced by Judge Bazil, the couple would move with their two children, Sydney and Donald, to Washington, D.C., where their youngest, Peggy, would be born. Although the city held fond memories of their marriage, Richard and Mildred longed to return to their home state of Virginia. The exiled couple would live in D.C. for several years before they decided they had enough. In 1963, Mildred would write a letter to the U.S. Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy in the hopes to gain assistance in returning to Virginia. Kennedy would go on to refer the Loving family to the American Civil Liberties Union. With the help of two ACLU lawyers, Bernard Cohen and Philip Hirschkopf, they filed a petition asking that Judge Bazile vacate the original conviction. When that failed, the ACLU lawyers appealed to the Virginia State Supreme Court, who unfortunately also upheld the original conviction. They appealed again and the case was picked up by the United States Supreme Court in April of 1967. The state of Virginia argued that the state's miscegenation laws were similar to those across the country, and that all these laws were also similar to the ones combating against incest and polygamy. The ACLU, however, argued that these laws were unconstitutional under the 14th Amendment, which promised all citizens due process and equal protection under the law. They were, as Hirchkopf said, quote, "...not health and welfare laws." These are slavery laws, pure and simple, end quote. 
On June 12, 1967, the Supreme Court came back with their ruling. Unanimously, the court ruled in favor of the Lovings and found that Virginia's anti-miscegenation laws were unconstitutional. Chief Justice Earl Warren wrote of the court's decision, quote, Under our Constitution, the freedom to marry or not marry a person of another race resides with the individual and cannot be infringed upon by the state, end quote. The court's decision, as a result, struck down all remaining anti-miscegenation laws around the country. After the case, the Lovings moved back to Central Point to raise their family. Sadly, Richard died in 1975 in a car accident. Mildred remained in Central Point for the rest of her life and passed away in 2008, never having remarried. Today, Loving v. Virginia is considered one of the most important Supreme Court cases of all time, and one of the most important of the many which took place during the Civil Rights era. It eventually would help lead to the end of segregation that cost the country in the years following. The case was also used in future court cases, mainly in support of same-sex marriage, and was cited during the 2015 Obergefell v. Hodges case, which legalized same-sex marriage nationwide. It would also be cited by President Biden following the signing of the Respect for Marriage Act in 2022. All of which brings us back to today, June 12th, which is now celebrated, as we said, as Loving's Day, honoring the Lovings, their Supreme Court case, and celebrating multiracial families and individuals across the nation like us. Thank you both for explaining what today is all about. Now that we have that context, let's go ahead and chat about our own experiences as people who are the product of the kind of relationships that Loving protected. So some of our listeners may have not heard some of our previous episodes where we discussed mixed race. So maybe it would be a good idea to start off by sharing how we introduce our identities. Does anyone want to start? Yeah, I can start. I am half Japanese and half white. My white side is Ukrainian and Norwegian. Um, But when introducing my identity, um, I feel like people usually assume based on looking at me and based on my name, which is Yoko, (laughs) that I'm just Japanese and sometimes even that I'm from Japan. And so usually like the way that I clue people into my entire identity is just like, they'll be like, oh, why is, they'll be confused about like my family or my last name. And I say that I'm also half white because the, the Asian part is kind of implied by my entire presence and how I present to the world. So um, being clear about like, I'm half white is the main way that my, that I like introduce my identity. Um, Cause the rest needs no interjection because it's my face. Anyone else want to go? <laughs> I can go next. I feel like I have similar feelings about that. So I run mad again. But uh, for me, I identify as mixed uh, Japanese and Chinese American, uh, specifically Gosei and fourth generation Chinese American. Uh, Gosei, for folks who don't know what that means, means fifth generation Japanese American. Uh, and then on my father's side, I am a fourth generation uh, Jewish American. So if anyone has actually seen me, I look just very ambiguously Asian. Uh, no one can really tell what kind of Asian, just I look Asian. Uh, I don't really take after my dad and as far as looks go. I take after him in a lot of other ways, but not as far as physical characteristics go. So besides my height, which is slightly taller than normal, uh, not by much, but slightly taller than normal, I appear just to be full Asian. So uh, people are always surprised by uh, seeing my name, which is Wisely, which is also, uh, which is Polish, and also misspelled incorrectly. 
but uh, it's something that always throws people off, and especially like my Japanese teachers back in college always threw them off because they did not know how to pronounce it, um, and just about no one can pronounce it, even though it's it's technically a European language, which is hilarious to me. But yes, one of the many many things about being mixed that is interesting, which we'll get into, but. I'll leave it at that and go into more detail mm -hmm. as we continue. Yeah, um, I think I can go ahead and go next. Uh, for myself, um, I am Japanese and Mexican. Um, on my mom's side, I am Shinisei. So my mom immigrated to America when she was a child. And on my dad's side, I'm like a third generation Mexican-American, but I sometimes consider myself to be like a second generation Mexican-American because shortly after my father was born in the U.S., my family decided to go back to Mexico. So my father's like a 1.5 generation, I suppose. Um, in regards to like introducing myself, I feel like first off, it all kind of like depends on like how what name people hear first just because um in some situations people are introducing me as francisco and other people are introducing me as hero or hero and um in those cases like if i'm being introduced as francisco i i tend to notice that many people will just be like oh you're mixed latino um but they aren't too sure what that other mixed side is and then vice versa like when i'm introduced as hero they're like oh you're you're mixed japanese but with like what and so i think um it's kind of interesting how i consider myself to be a little bit like like physically ambiguous um when it comes to my backgrounds and it's just very interesting for me to see how people will determine what they think i look quote unquote more and it's all like affected by the name that they hear first yeah I typically will say that I'm like mixed race or multiracial and I'm half Japanese from my mom's side. Um, I'm Yonsei fourth generation. And on my dad's side, my dad is also mixed and he's um, Mexican Nicaraguan and German Irish. And so on my dad's side, actually, I'm like generationally um, mixed race. So I'm just a product of different generations of that mixed race identity. I think similar, like kind of similar to what you were saying, Hiro, like kind of depends on the context of how people might perceive me. Like I typically think that more of my non-Asian friends will think I'm more Asian and then vice versa. My Asian friends think of me as more or less, more white, less Asian. Um, and most people don't realize or don't know that I'm like Hispanic and I think my dad himself he's very white passing so people don't really recognize that in him either um, so that's actually part of my identity that I haven't leaned into as much and definitely I think this is a proximity thing but I've, I've leaned in a lot more to my Japanese American roots especially um, recently which I think is funny because I feel like we're all here because we've leaned very heavily on our JA sides why do you think that is like for me, I like I said, it's like a proximity thing. I'm physically located much more closely to my mother's side of the family, which is Japanese. Um, so like I I definitely feel like it's a physical space, um, and yeah, just that proximity. But also, it wasn't something that I really participated in as much until college and after college. 
but yeah go, go ahead what, what were you thinking I also think it's it's like a matter of like how like if you are white you are white and if you are white with anything else in you then you're not white like that's kind of how race has been created in this country that's how it worked during the incarceration that's how it worked during the Jim Crow era like yeah the way that racial lines have been enforced is always whiteness Mm -hmm. is something that can only exist as like a pure thing and if you pass that's like a whole other discussion but because of that if you have any part of you that is not white then you are not white like I am not white. I'm I'm mixed race and I'm part white, but I'm not a white person. Like I don't walk into a room and people think I'm like white. So because of that, like it alienates you also from those spaces. Like I don't feel like comfortable like the side of my family that is white, the places where they are and their culture is not something that I would ever be like part of on a regular basis Mm. so yeah there's like the proximity thing there's like there's so many factors but I think for those of us who are mixed white there's that that's like the thing that it's like the one drop rule thing and it's like because of society's definitions of race we are not white even though we're halfway if that makes sense yeah and I think it's about like acceptance and just like community sort of I don't know how the better way to say it, the vibes of the community. Um, <laughs> just because, I mean, his, I mean, part of it's historically, like just historically, like Japanese Americans were the most mixed race ethnic group there is. So I think that's part of it is just as a group, we are more accepting as a whole of other mixed race folks, just because most of us are, uh, which has to do with a whole, whole lot of history around incarceration and other things. But I think that's part of it. And too, is just, yeah, just I've been in, Chinese American spaces I'm in the Jewish American spaces and just always I've felt more welcome and invited in, in Japanese and Nikkei spaces like, I don't have to prove my identity I don't have to prove I'm Chinese or, or Jewish to anyone or Japanese to anyone I just I just am and because and even working now in community like I've never been questioned if I'm Japanese or Nikkei or not where I might where I definitely have been in other spaces I feel like Matt, I feel like I could totally relate to you on that. Like for myself, I've always felt like a little bit more accepted within like the Japanese American community and stuff like that. Like uh, I've never really felt the need to be like, like have to like prove myself and be like, oh, well, my mom's from Japan and my grandmother's from Japan and they're from Nagasaki and they're from this certain town and um, stuff like that. Whereas like as sad as it makes me feel to say this, sometimes when I'm within like, mexican-american spaces i have to like really prove to like those around me that i am mexican like they're like asking me like well do you speak spanish are you a nosabo kid um when i have tried to get involved in some groups in the past it's just very like oh you're asian but you could still like join our org and i have to be like no like i I am Mexican. So because of these situations, I think I got really involved within like the Japanese American community or leaned more into my Japanese side because of the fact of how welcoming like so many people in, within our community are. So yeah. You know, that's a big fear of mine is like trying to walk into Mexican American space and even like in college clubs and, and whatnot. Like I just, I didn't know how to relate because I didn't have a lot of exposure to cult- that culture 
even from my grandmother, just she lives far away. And I think she's of the generation that wanted to feel more American. And it's just not a culture that I was brought up really experiencing as much. Whereas I feel like I've got a little more of that from my Japanese side. It's just a little bit. Yeah, like just just enough. Like, I totally agree with you. My my dad, he rarely ever like shared our Mexican culture with me. And it would like growing up though, um, my, my Japanese grandmother always exposed me to Japanese things. And I think that just kind of led to where I am now, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, we've been talking a lot about like our identity and how like we are mixed and stuff like that. And we've been using terms like half and like Japan, they use words like half just out of curiosity, I know some of us in this conversation do use the word half, but how does that like make everybody feel? Do you feel like there's some stigma against it or anything like that, or just like a word that needs to evolve or change into something else? I wasn't really familiar with the term half, hafu until high school. In my Japanese class, I tried introducing myself as hapa because that's the terminology that I had heard growing up um, before I knew the history behind it. And my Japanese teacher corrected me. Um, she's from Japan, but she corrected me or said that she was confused because she didn't, doesn't use that terminology and she uses hafu and she told me to use hafu. Um, but for me, hafu feels a little incomplete just because I I feel like it, me, it, it feels to me like half something and half something else, like a very like biracial or like, um, just like two things, but very like just two things. And for me, that didn't fit because I identify as like multiracial with multiple different ethnic backgrounds. So that was not a term that I really grew up using. And that's not really something that I use now, although I would say like I'm half Japanese, but I, and maybe I would say like half food to like some other more Japanese identifying people or people from Japan who are used to that terminology more or at least I think they are I don't know yeah I mean (laughs) (laughs) I mean same goes for me because yeah I'm also multi-ethnic and multi-racial so I don't fit neatly into that half and half sort of idea so for me it was never like growing up I never said I was half I never like I might say like I'm my on my dad's side I'm white or I'm half white but besides that like I never really use that sort of terminology and i never actually i never heard the term hafu until college um but i think that's mostly because i grew up in arizona where there wasn't a very large japanese speaking population so i don't think i was really exposed to it but coming out to to la and really meeting more people who were mixed race um, and especially those i had a decent number of friends who were mixed race from japan too um, and just hearing about their experiences growing up mixed in japan and then watching like the documentary Hafu and understanding like what that term means, but also like what the term Hapa means and the connotations that both of them have, as well as the complexity complexities and intricacies that they all have um, has been really eye-opening and interesting to navigate, especially because the same way I grew up saying Hapa because most people on the West Coast, that's what they grew up calling themselves who were mixed Asian. Um, and then coming to find out later that that's not, probably the best term to use um yeah has been really interesting and it's it is kind of hard now because it is it like growing up that felt like a word that encompassed like who we were and Mm -hmm. it's hard not to use it still at the times but i mean as with any language like it's constantly evolving and constantly changing 
and maybe there will be a word that is better to use to to describe ourselves and describe our identity in the near future but for now i guess my preferred way to say it is mixed and then explaining what my my mixed identity is but that's just me i think also there's this aspect of like the people who i most often am talking about or introducing my identity to are people outside of like my circle whether that be like my community my family whatever like they all know right so it's kind of always an external you're talking to someone who you don't know what contexts they have you don't know what knowledge they have and so my goals are to get it done kind of like just clearly and efficiently communicate so that they can stop asking not that it's bad to want to know about people around you but just like get the idea across that this is my background and yeah like we I mean we're doing that right now I guess but generally you don't sit around talking like the people you see every day you're not like hi I'm half Japanese like I know you know (laughs) so like it's it's more of like an external thing generally and so you I can't trust that they're gonna know what like if I if someone said oh wait so what's your background and I was like oh hafu they would be like what (laughs) so I I always just say like I'm half Japanese half white because that's easy and what's easy for for me to get across is it's beneficial to me and the other person because I'm I don't I don't want to make it a whole thing you know yeah I think when it comes to like to like terms both like half and half food and stuff like that um for a while like I transitioned to like using half and stuff like that but um I'm sure like many people have heard these like conversations and it's like what Michelle was saying about the word half kind of makes it feel like you're not full something it's just like you're dividing like these two aspects of you or three or four aspects of you um so on mm-hmm. so on so I think lately I've I've trying my best to transition from using the word half and just saying like mm-hmm. oh I'm Japanese and Mexican rather than saying like I'm half Japanese half Mexican um Recently, Matt and I were shared this video from our friend Robbie, and this video uh, has a speaker. His name's um, Motoi um, Tauchi, I think, and he is Japanese and Korean. He lives in Japan, and he talks about how he doesn't like using the word like half in Japan because, um, again, it splits his identity. So instead, he he likes to promote that he's double, uh, so because. He's both Korean and Japanese. Um, there is no like divide between the two, and I don't know if I would personally use the word double, but I like the like message that he's trying to spread in in, in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I will say though, while living in Japan, um, I do use the word hafu very like often to explain my identity, just because um, on top of being mixed in Japan and the difficulties of explaining it. Now, maybe my Japanese just isn't good enough yet, but um, within the Japanese language, there's not a divide between nationality and ethnicity and stuff like that. It's just like same words are used. So um, it's kind of like easier for me when speaking to a Japanese um, national to say that I'm hafu rather than trying to explain like, uh, yes, I am Japanese, Mexican, but I'm from America. 
because um, mm -hmm. otherwise, like, if I just say I'm Japanese and Mexican, many people will just be like, so are you from Mexico or are you from Japan? And then I have to be like, oh, yeah. but I'm from America. And it's just, it's a lot. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of where I stand with like the terms like half and hafu. Yeah. I, I remember like when I was in Japan for Kakahashi, I was like recommended to introduce ourselves as America Jean this, like not not Japanese, not uh, whatever else, uh, what other cultures or ethnic backgrounds you may have because it does get confusing. That's like where people assume you're from versus your, your ethnic background. background. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I actually don't know much about the history of the term hafu and, and how it's primarily used. So does anyone have more info on that? To my understanding, hafu used to be a little bit of like a slur in Japan, but it wasn't until like maybe the 90s or so that like um, biracial and mixed folks in Japan started to like claim it as like an identity rather than like an uh, insult. Uh, but perhaps I'm wrong, uh, but I think that's what I've like heard in the past. I think as we've talked more and more about how we identify, I'm curious to see how like our parents identify us as. Or like what our parents think of being like a mixed race couple, because like I think it's very interesting to think of how that was, especially like post obviously as we've talked about post loving day or post loving v Virginia, like how it's changed over the years and like sort of how that came about because I mean for a lot of our families, like some of us might be the only ones who are mixed. Like on my especially on like my mom's side, who are Japanese, like everyone is mixed. Like everyone in married some uh, people of a different ethnicity or another race but on my dad's side he's the only one that did so like all my cousins are full white on that side um and it's always interesting to see how how that has interplayed like in my family so i'm curious how that's sort of worked out in other people's families i'm exactly the same where my japanese side every every sibling every cousin of my mom's had kids with people who were not japanese and then my dad said everyone kept it very white. <laughs> and so it's like, mm -hmm. on my mom's side, it's like the norm, weirdly. Like, it's not, I don't even, you don't even think about it because it's just everyone. And then when you're with the white side that is super, super white, then you are definitely the weird one. And that's definitely how I have always felt. So mm -hmm. that's fun. And also, and as yeah. far as my parents go, like, my dad is definitely like the weird one in his family <laughs> because he got with a Japanese lady. Like it's literally, yeah, he's definitely, I mean, he's the weird one for a lot of reasons, <laughs> but <laughs> that is definitely among them. So for me, the majority of my family is mixed on, on both sides. Um, my, on my mom's side, like my, my mom and my aunt, like um, both married white men. Well, my dad is, Anyway, on my dad's side, because he's already mixed and like his his parents are are mixed race couple, and all of their children and all of their children's children are kind of by default mixed race. So it's like less. It's it's normal to be mixed, I guess, in my family. And I don't know if there's now a way 
moving forward. There is like no, no way moving forward that we could not be mixed. So no. um, it's kind of cool. We're just going to get, I guess, get more and more mixed, maybe. Yeah, there's no, there's no going back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, wait, <laughs> yeah, I, like, I don't think that's possible. <laughs> um, so like within my family, I'm pretty much the first mixed child on both sides of my family to my, to my understanding. Um, definitely on my Japanese side of my family, on my Mexican side, uh, perhaps there's um, more like ethnically mixed rather than racially mixed. I think those are the right terms. And so I, I would say for my mom, um, her getting into a mixed marriage was actually, even though like it, I'm the first mixed child, my mom's marriage was not the first mixed marriage because my grandmother remarried and her second husband um, was a white man. So interesting enough though, like my Japanese grandmother did want my mom to like marry a Japanese man, even though she didn't. Um, but when my mom came to the decision to marry my, um, my father, there was, I don't believe there was much pushback compared to like my dad's side of the family like this was the first mixed marriage outside of a latino community and as a result there's some pushback but it's my hope and my like belief that um, things have gotten better since then but going back to my mom's my grandmother's marriage my grandmother's second husband his family was very like skeptical of him marrying a Japanese woman. And to this day, like, a relationship with that side of the family is very interesting, almost non-existent. There are, like, a few individuals within that side of the family that we um, talk to and are very, like, supportive of the decisions my grandmother and my grandfather made, are very, like, open to, like, learning about our communities and stuff like that. But, yeah, aside from those few outliers... That side of the family is rarely spoken to. <laughs> Does anyone else have any stories about how different sides of your families reacted to your parents' relationship? My mom's parents, because they're already met, like they married in their mixed ethnicity, they couldn't care less. <laughs> they're just like, go for it. And then on my my dad's side also was just like, even though no one had, my grandfather was like. As long as you love her and as long as she's the right girl for you, go for it. That's been the nice thing about my family is, yeah, my family's always been very supportive of marrying whoever they want and making the families they want. But now I've dated people who are not like that, but that's a story for another time. <laughs> oh, no. Mm -hmm. uh, I was going to say, I don't know this for sure, but I can imagine that my grandparents on my mom's side... Um, the Japanese ones who were incarcerated and who you know, did want to become or feel more American were probably happy um, that my mom and my, my aunt like, chose to marry and have children with white-ish men. But I don't, that's just me projecting kind of just based on how I think like my grandma in particular like really wanted to fit in and assimilate. But yeah, I don't, I don't know for sure. I think in my family, it's it's very under the surface. Like, well, the Japanese side, no one cares. If, like, obviously, everyone 
was marrying non-Japanese people. It literally did not matter at all. The only pushback from the Japanese side has been like worry about how the white side would react, if that makes sense. So like my dad's family, they're very nice, you know, Midwestern white Americans. So they're they're never going to like say anything, but there's like these like weird things under the surface. And my grandma, like one story that's like actually really sad is that when my mom told my grandma that she was pregnant with me and my twin sister, my grandma's first reaction was to ask if my dad's parents knew yet because she was worried that they would be disapproving. And that's so sad because like obviously she wants grandchildren and stuff, but she was worried that like we were going to be brought into a situation where we weren't going to be fully accepted. And that was the first thing to cross her mind. So that's like the only, from that side, it's only about, are they going to be okay with this? And how is that going to impact the people that I love? Like, that's the only worry. And then from the white side, it's very like, very under the surface, (laughs) very like, oh, you're very nice to us. But like, there's weird stuff like my dad got really really sick when me and my sister were less than a year old he had a really serious brain issue it was like horrible and he was hospitalized and they eventually thought it was some sort of virus that got in there and his sister said we need to bring him home he needs to come home he needs to come home and heal and be with his family and my mom had to be like he has two children and me like his family is here this is his family and we always I cannot help but think that if we were white there would not be a question like that like it would we would be seen as his family so yeah it's more like stuff like that it's never like oh we don't approve of you we think you're weird like they would never say that and I know that they do love us it's just complicated Sorry to bring down the mood. <laughs> no, I think I think these are important things to bring up. I mean, I definitely do think at times that parts of my family are like, we like you, but you're a little different, you know? So th- these are definitely important topics to bring up. And that's what we're here for um, in this uh, little mini-series. I was going to say, leaving us off if we want on a cheesy note instead, but <laughs> as I think is is proven by all of us in ex- being in existence today uh i might be really cheesy and just say love conquers all <laughs> there we go <laughs> well i think we've talked a lot about different aspects of our lives and our identities and our relationships with our families today and i i truly believe that this is a great way to start this conversation and i'm super excited to be able to continue working on this little series, Mixed Feelings. And in the weeks to come, we'll be exploring more about different aspects of being mixed. Um, Each of us will be hosting our own episode, focusing on a particular topic and that we'll deep dive into. But I hope you guys are excited for that. And I just want to say thank you, everyone, for joining us today for the series premiere of Mixed Feelings. Uh, We really have a great mix, pun intended, of (laughs) topics 
<laughs> of topics to uh, talk about with episodes dropping every other Monday. That's right. So you can expect our next episode to be released June 26th, where we'll be joining Michelle and her guests as they talk about mixed race beauty standards. So be sure to follow the Yonsei Podcast Network on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And while you wait for that next episode, you can listen to the original Yonsei Podcast series as well as other Yonsei Podcast Network content in the meantime by searching for Nikkei Rising on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And one last reminder, don't forget to follow at Nikkei Rising on Facebook and Instagram for announcements and reminders, as well as updates on other Nikkei Rising programs. Thank you again for listening in. The Yonsei Podcast Network is made by Hiro Odeza, Yoko Fedorenko, Michelle Heckert, Sachi Koide, Lauren Matsumoto, Johnny Narita, Matthew Wisebly, and Robbie Yoshikawa, with Mixed Feelings art done by Ren Maicha and Mixed Feelings theme music by Michelle Heckert and Kyori Lo Kapi.